I love having Betsy in the front row here. It's awesome. All right, how is everyone doing this morning? Good, huh? Well, I just want to thank you for all, all for coming today, and I want to thank Dennis for giving me the uh, the opportunity to uh, to talk this morning. Because a lot of times it's like you know, Dennis, you know, he called me a month and a half in advance, you know, so I just had time to think about it, stew over it, you know, what God, what is it you want me to to talk about here? And you know, a lot of the things that I'm going through in my life, you know, it's just I like to just the struggles that I'm going through, the whatever I'm wrestling with, it's like a, it's a learning experience for me. And um, God just, I believe God, you know, just, you know, points me to stuff in his word. And so um, kind of want to share a little bit with you today. So I'll pray and we'll, uh, we'll start. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, such a beautiful, cool day, God. And uh, Lord, we thank you for, uh, for bringing us here. And God, thank you for all of your, so- your many blessings, God. And help us to focus on you. And uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, give me the words to say and let the words that I speak come directly from you. And uh, we love you and thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Robert J. Morgan, in his book, The Red Sea Rules, writes, Whether we say in a laugh or an alleluia depends on our perspective. Not long ago, I, I awoke early in a hotel in, an, in another city and turned down the weather report. I was returning home from a speaking engagement, and the forecast was very troubling. Violent storms, strong winds, lightning. Arriving at the airport, I glanced at the menacing sky with foreboding. The clouds were iron gray and looked really angry. We took off with a sharp ascent, and the plane pierced the clouds and leveled off at, the high, at a high altitude above them. And up there, the scene was breathtaking, bright and majestic and peaceful, and glorious mountains of sunlit clouds rising and falling below me as far as the eye could see. I realized they were the same clouds, but my perspective was different. Storms, I realized, looked different from the upper side. Colossians chapter 3 tells us, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So if wisdom, as someone said, is seeing things from God's point of view, praise should be the natural reaction to that. So whether you're on the upper side or the underside of the storm, remember, God will make a way. And as he does... Don't forget to praise him. Today we're going to take a look at uh, the book of James. Uh, four verses, actually. Can we hit the right button here? Yep. PowerPoint. Oops, there we go. There we go. Um, we're looking at the, the book of James here, and we're just going to look at the first four verses here. But before we even read them, I just want to kind of give you a little background here of the book of James. Now, many of you know of James, we read in the Bible, right? Jesus had his twelve apostles, and there were the kind of like the top three. There were Peter, James, and John, right? And a lot of times when Jesus went to like you know a place he wanted to be alone, he would often take Peter, James, and John with him. But the James, the author of this text, is not the James of Peter, James, and John. And for many times, I thought many years, I thought it was. But the book, the author of the book of James here, is actually not the James the apostle, but it was James, the biological son of Joseph and Mary. So James here, the author of this text, is actually Jesus' half-brother. Okay? He was the oldest of Joseph and Mary's biological children. Okay, obviously Jesus came first, but not because Joseph and Mary, you know, the whole Immaculate Conception thing, right? But then after Jesus was born, right, you know, and Joseph and Mary themselves had kids. And so uh, there were a few brothers in the family. There was James, I think Simon. Another brother was Judas, who later went on to write the book of Jude, the book right before Revelation. Okay, but James here is Jesus' half-brother. 
And the Bible uh, points to us that James originally did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, you can read in John 7 when Jesus, uh, Jesus didn't want to go to Judea for a certain time because he knew the religious leaders there were going to pretty much assassinate him if he went there. So he stayed back for a ways, and his brothers started mocking him. They said, hey, you can't become famous if you hide like this. You know, you got to go in there so people can believe in your powers, right? But um, so James did not believe until after the resurrection. Um, in fact, the Apostle Paul specifically writes in 1 Corinthians that Jesus literally appeared to James, and he, he saw and James believed. Later on, he became a leader in the church. And this book, the text we're going to look at here, is probably, scholars believe, was written sometime around 20 or 30 years after the resurrection. So we're talking maybe A.D. 50, 60-ish, something like that. But um, this is what it says. Right? This letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, he says he's a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, he's saying he's a slave of his older brother. How many of you here with older brothers would be okay to say that? Your older brother. So I just, we'll get back to that after. I just thought it was kind of unusual. But um, he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. And I find it interesting that he's writing to, to Jewish believers. Because you remember back in, you know, back in this ancient Israel here, we, they were under Roman control, right? Everything was under the power of Rome. And you've been listening to Dennis's messages, and you know that, that once a year, like, there was a big thing of Caesar worship going on, that a lot of the Christians back then, you know, if they did not, what was that, once a year, say that, you know, Caesar is Lord, take that little whatever it was, right? They couldn't get a, pa- they couldn't get a free pass to go out in society and get a job. They couldn't buy groceries. They couldn't do the basic everyday necessary things y- you do in life, okay? But not only that, they were going through those persecutions, but he's also writing to Jewish believers. And... You know, my guess is that I personally believe it may have been harder for these Jewish Christians than, say, for the Gentile Christians. Because, yeah, the, gen- the, pe- the people who are non-Jewish Jews, they believe in Jesus. But now for the Jewish believers, you know, don't forget the aspect of family. Is that when someone coming from a Jewish family and says, I believe in Jesus now, you know, they, they also face the rejection of, of family too. And that's talk about a double whammy. One from the government society and one from your family now. Where do you go? So these are the people that James is, James is addressing right here. And it's funny because I, I love the book of James because James does not know how to beat around the bush. James is blunt. He gets right to the point in your face. I mean, many of you have read the book of James, and you know that you can't read the book of James a lot of times without getting convicted a little bit. And, you know, you call yourself a Christian. Well, why, you know, it kind of just points the finger, rubs it in, right? So we'll take a look here. Um, verse 2. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, notice he doesn't say hi for like a few verses. He just gets right to the point. Okay? And these Jewish believers are being persecuted. Dennis described many of the persecutions, right? And then he got the the stuff from family. And James is telling them, you should be joyful through all this time. What are you smoking? Anyway, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, and so that when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Count it all joy. Interesting. You know, none of us like trials and, and temptations uh, and stuff like that, but Martin Luther once said, "Were it not if it wasn't for tribulation, I would not understand the Scriptures at all. Count it all joy. Oops. Thank you, Lord, for this trial. Okay. <laughs> One, two, there we go. Count it all joy. Now, um, 
Where is it? Right there. Verse 2 here. This is the New Living Translation. But when I study the Scripture, I like to kind of go to other translations too. And so many of you know, a lot of us don't read this version, but the King James here. Um, I took a lot of the words from, you know, the King James here because written originally from the Greek. Let's see. Once. Now I know what you go through. There we go. I just want to look at verse 2. It says, my brethren. And I bet you that was the first time the word brethren was used in this church and probably the last, right? But anyway, uh, it's Greek for brothers. It says, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. I didn't understand what divers meant. I'm thinking swimming, diving. But divers there means literally diverse or various. So it's kind of, kind of weird. But anyhow, um, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But I want to look at that word joy there. If you go back to the Greek, that word joy, joy from Strong's, literally is pronounced chara. Let me hear you. So you're going to learn a little Greek this morning, all right? Chara. It's kind of like when you say chala, the way that you say it, like chara, all right? Chara, okay? And that word chara, excuse me, is uh, the word for joy, the Greek word for joy. And it's the same word for joy. It means to take the light in. Kind of bizarre. And this word joy or chara is used in a few other uh, books of the Bible. When the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great chara, great joy, when they found out Jesus was born. And in the parable, the man looking for the treasure in the field, right? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a guy who found a treasure buried in a field. And what did he do? He, with great joy, he sold everything he had so he can go buy that field and now have it. Okay, that joy. Come on, if you found a field with a million bucks buried in it, wouldn't you sell a car or two to try to get that field and... Right, take it up, and you would be very joyful, right? Reason to celebrate. And also when the angel appeared, saying, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, good tidings of great chara. Okay, a reason to celebrate, Strong says. It says the cause or occasion of joy. And also, this word joy is the same joy, the same chara that all of heaven experiences when one sinner repents and turns to God. And you think of that, when one sinner repents, yeah, that's, that, that's a cause for celebration right there. You find, a, you find a field with a million billion dollars buried in it and you sell stuff so you can get that field? That's a cause for great joy, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. The Savior of the world being born, isn't that a cause for great joy? We can now be redeemed? So reason to celebrate. Now we go to James here. Hey, you going through a hard time? You have that same joy. And then we scratch our heads. No, 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 no. That, that, that doesn't belong there. And we want to cut that scripture out of our Bible. Convenient Christianity, I like to call it, right? When you just cut little bits and take the pieces you want and throw out, you can't do that. You've got to take it all. James was telling us, when trials come our way, we have a reason to celebrate. But my question was, God, celebrate what? What do you want me to celebrate? Good question. We'll get back to it. Phil Calloway, in his book, Laughing Matters, writes, Recently, I met Mary Jean, an outgoing 45-year-old who has a graduate degree from the University of Difficulty. I'm so short, she laughed as she reached, to shake, reached up to shake my hand, that they gave me a periscope when I went for my driver's license. As we talked, I noticed that Mary Jean was watching my lips move. I asked if I had mustard on them. No, she smiled. I'm deaf. And my best friend is deaf too. And she was laughing and joking and having a good time. But six months ago, Mary Jean was not laughing. Her husband of 28 years had just walked right out the door. He's in Florida now, she said, pursuing other interests. A month ago, she was in a deep, dark depression. But one morning, she began to pray that God would change her attitude. I got dressed for the first time in weeks and went to a store and bought some cards. I put a note in each mailbox on our street, and it said, I'm the lady in the blue house over there. Don't worry, I'm not crazy. I just want you to know that 
I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And that same day, a widow down the street came by to ask what it was that gets her through. The next day, a pregnant teen walked, knocked on the door. You're praying for me, she said tearfully. All I ever hear about is judgment. You see, in some, pain produces resentment, anger, and negativity. They smell flowers, and they look around for a funeral. But in Mary Jean, pain has produced an opportunity. New chances for compassion to spill over into action. She's less likely to run from the suffering of others and more likely to run to it, more likely to stoop than to stare, more likely to listen than offer grand, lofty advice. She knows that roses have thorns, and believe me, she's felt them. So she just picks them carefully and passes each of them along. Many of you heard the saying, right? When life hands you lemons, make lemonade, right? Someone once said, it's not the absence or presence of problems that determines one's peace of mind. It literally is the absence or presence of God. And so I started looking into this a little bit more. And I'm looking for scriptures, and I don't want to inundate you with like, you know, 5,000 scriptures here, but like, you know, why, you know, the trials, God? And many of us, you know, when I talked about contentment, you know, comparing the life of, you know, Solomon versus Paul. Solomon had it made, but yet he wasn't content. And Paul had nothing, yet he was the most content guy we could read about in the Bible. So, you know, I remember you talking about that. And this kind of stems from that a little bit because, you know, how many of you like going through hard times? I didn't see a hand. I didn't, yeah, if you raise your hand, I mean, like, what's wrong with you? But, you know, God allows us to go through these things for a reason. Now, um, Matthew Henry was a, uh, a Bible scholar back in the 1600s. And he was a, a huge commentator of the Bible. In fact, he wrote an exhaustive commentary of every piece of Scripture that's in the Bible. I mean, I looked, it's on the Internet, and I got exhausted just reading the commentary for like two verses. I mean, he wrote, he wrote, he wrote a lot of works. In fact, um, George Whitfield and uh, Charles Spurgeon referred to his, his work constantly when they were preparing their sermons. And um, I, looked, I wanted to see what Matthew Henry said about that, because, you know, he, if anybody studied the Bible for 20 hours a day, it was him. And he was a Presbyterian minister, like I said, back in the 1700s. And, you know, he, he went through hardships in life. He was born prematurely, and uh, he was uh, constantly sick and going through so much stuff uh, physically. But um, anyway, this is, this is what he says. I thought it was really interesting. I just, something kind of jumped out here and just smacked me in the face. I kind of want to share it with you. He says, one Christian grace to be exercised is joy, to count it all joy. We must not sink into a sad and disconsolate frame of mind which will make us faint under our trials. But we must endeavor to keep our spirits dilated, keep our spirits enlarged during those times. The be- better to take in the true sense of the case, with the greater advantage to let- tell ourselves to make the best of it. Whereas philosophy may instruct men to be calm under their troubles, Christianity teaches them to be joyful. Teaches them to be joyful. Because such exercises proceed from love and not fury. In God. In them we are conformable to Christ our head, and they become marks of our adoption. Keeping our spirits dilated and enlarged. And I'm thinking like, well, how does that, you know, as a teacher, I love object lessons and stuff. And any of you ever go to the eye doctor? You go for that, and you have that, that eye drops, they dilate your pupils, right? And what do, what do the pupils do? They blow up, and then your eyes turn black, right? And they let the light in, Right? And so, isn't it interesting, though, like, when, when your pupils are enlarged, more light can come in. And being a diabetic, I, get, I have to get the once a year triple, I get triple, I get triple the, uh, the drops you get. And I'm trying to drive home with 14 pairs of sunglasses on, and, you know, I still am squinting. But 
keep our spirits dilated and enlarged. You know, the eye doctor gives us those drops to dilate our pupils to let more light in. So God must therefore be able to give us the ability to dilate our spirits so that during the hard times, can you literally see and sense his presence around you? And that takes a spirit dilation, if you will, in order to do that. Whereas, you know, set your, set your sights on things above, not on things of this earth, right? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's, it's supernatural. It does, that does not come naturally. Okay? Do you have that uh, website? I hope this works because I was uh, fooling around with this yesterday. I love optical illusions, but can you all see that? You see that black dot and you kind of got a grayish kind of thingamajig going around there, right? What I want you to do for just like 10 to 15 seconds, I want you to stare intently at that black dot. Just stare at it. Focus on that dot as much as you can. As you're focusing on that dot, what happens? The gray goes away, right? Now, symbolically, that black dot there represents a problem or a trial in your life, okay? And this gray, think of the gray here as the presence of God around you. When you hyper-focus on that one black stinking dot, right, that one little thing that, uh, right, makes you so mad and frustrated, you just want to give up and quit or just, you know, whatever it is, right, you tend to lose sight, of, you tend to lose perspective of all the, of all, of all God's goodness around you. You forget to be thankful in all circumstances, as Paul says. You forget so many promises that are true, that God promises us in his word. Isn't it true that if you look at a, if you look at a spider crawling on a white surface, if you look at that spider through a magnifying glass in a super microscope, that thing becomes a big, fat, ugly, hairy monster. But if you look at it from a different perspective, from God's perspective, it's just it's a little spider. Treat it as such. Squash it, do whatever you want. All right? <laughs> But now I'm not saying our problems are squashable because I know we, we want to squash our problems. But, um, you know, and a lot of you think, you know, life will just be better if this would go away. Or if I didn't have this, you know, why do I got to go through this? But let me tell you something. Uh, Kent Crockett, I saw this was a very powerful quote. He once said, if, like going to a golf course won't make you a better golfer, right? You all agree with that? Going to a golf course won't make you a better golfer. Therefore, being placed in a better environment is not going to make you a better person. And that's like, I read that, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, I know it's not scriptural, but it's true. Okay? Now, Matthew Henry says to do that, such exercises proceed from love. That takes a lot of trust to do. What Matthew Henry is implying is that if we're not able to keep our spirits enlarged like that, then our love for God is, is quite small. Because you see, he says this. Here we go. Again, here we go. Basically, the Cliff's Notes version of what Matthew Henry is saying is this. A deep love of God is vital for one to be joyful during the hardest circumstances. And with love comes trust, right? Because you can't, you can't love somebody if you don't trust them. I mean, right? One of the, the foundations of a good marriage. You need love and trust, right? So a deep love of God is essential. You need to have that deep love of God in order to be joyful. That's a necessary ingredient. Just like sugar, you need to put sugar in uh, some kind of cake mix. Putting sugar in there is necessary to make it sweet. That kind of logic, same thing here. Loving God deeply is necessary to be even to be joyful in the hard times. So, logically speaking, you could conclude that if you're not able to be joyful during the hardest times, that tells me that you might not have a deep love of God to begin with. And that's a hard pill to swallow. It really is. And that just hit me right in the chest. It's like, wow. You know, it's like, God, I thank you. I know that you're greater than the, the problems I have here in my life. And I know there's nothing too hard for you to can't handle, that you can't handle. But God, why this? We asked the why question, but 
in asking the why, we're focusing on that dot. We're forgetting about his loving presence around us. So maybe, just maybe God has us have those trials and those tests for, to help us recognize that he's, he's there to begin with. Because if life was grandiose, fine and dandy, if life was just sweet and rosy and just beautiful, you know, we might have a hard time keeping our eyes on the prize. Corey Ten Boom once said, when a, train goes, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't just throw away the ticket and jump off, do you? No. You sit your butt down still and you trust the engineer. It's true. On a lighter note, Mother Teresa said, I know God doesn't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> yeah. Because the beautiful thing is that in this universe, you are all students Right? If you call yourself a Christ follower, I like to say you are students in God's university or the university of Christianity. What's the objective of this course? Probably to become more like Jesus, right? Who is the instructor? Jesus Christ, right? What are his office hours? 24-7. He's always available. What's his phone number? My dad said, I asked my dad when I was little one time, does God have a phone number? He said, yeah, 333. I'm like, 333? What do you mean 333? He said, well, Jeremiah 33.3 says, call on me and I will answer, says the Lord. So I figured... That's got to work. All right. I think I tried hitting it once. I got nowhere. But um, anyway, so, but the beautiful thing in God's um, being a student of Jesus Christ is that if you flunk the test, if you fail the test, guess what? You get to take it again and again. Because in God's school, you don't flunk, right? What do we, we know here that, you know, um, when you're made right with God, justification is an instant process. It instantaneously you're forgiven, you know you're on your way to heaven, right? Christ, cousin, Christ came, he did that redemptive work, you are justified instantly. But sanctification, becoming more Christ-like, takes a lifelong process. No one's ever going to get there. And guess what? God uses these trials to help make us more like Jesus. As you go through those hard times, what's coming out? You squeeze a sponge, right? You know, when you squeeze a sponge, put a little pressure on that. What's in the sponge is going to come out if it's wet, right? What comes out of you? When you hit your thumb, right, and you're nailing a, 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 hammering a nail or whatever, right? What's coming out of you? Matthew Henry continues. He says, By suffering in the ways of righteousness, we're serving in the interests of our Lord's kingdom among men and edifying the body of Christ. And our trials will brighten our graces now. Our trials will brighten our graces. Go figure. <laughs> and our crown at last. Therefore, there is a reason to count it all joy when trials and difficulties become our lot in the way of duty. So basically he's saying it's our duty. You know what? Become more like Jesus. Whoops, wrong one. Go back, go back. Hang on. All right. Um, Verse 3. These trials, why do we have these trials? The trying of your faith works patience. That word trying there, okay? The Greek word for that is dokemian. Let me hear it. Dokemian, right. Basically, it's the proving, or that by which something is tried or proved. A test. How many students we have here this morning? College, right? Do you love tests? We're all students in God's kingdom, right? But you don't like to test. Jared, where are you? Can I pick on you for a little bit? Now, many of you know Jared here is going uh, to be a nurse. He's going to be an RN, a registered nurse. And when's the big test? In September. Are you looking forward to taking this test? No, you're not. Why? So why are you taking this difficult test if it's going to be difficult? Okay. So why is he taking the test? He's doing it for himself, right? Isn't it for his benefit that he takes the nursing exam so that he can get the job that he wants, get the RN job that he wants, and then therefore he's not going to be the only one that benefits from taking that test. 
How about all the thousands of patients he'll be able to later on and treat in his, in, in his career that they're going to benefit because he went through a test. You see, and sometimes we fail to see the we fail to see the forest through the trees. We look at this tree and it's like, gosh, you know, Lord, I mean, help me get through this. But you know what? Trials aren't necessarily such a bad thing. God, Jared's taking this test for his own good. And you want to pass the class, you've got to pass the test. Well, same thing in God's university, right? If you don't pass that test, well, God, I think, allows you to take that test again. Maybe at another time, place, and date. But God allows us to go, just like Jared's taking the test for his sake, God allows us to go through trials for our sake, to help us become more like him, right? It develops our character. Look at what verse 3 says. The trying of your faith works patience. I mean, patience, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. And what does it say? God is love, right? And in him there is no darkness at all, First John says. And First Corinthians says love is patient. Well, hello, if, we need, if we're going to be, if we're gonna be uh, God followers here, we need that patience, right? These trials help develop the patience that we need to become better Christ followers. To help us become, uh, become better people. Now, I want to go back to uh, where James calls himself a slave of, of Jesus. He says here, a servant of God, but in the other one, it says, James, a slave of God. And again, I, I, I don't think even if, if Jesus was my brother, I don't think I could even say I'm a slave. Well, maybe I would, I don't know, but um, a slave of your, of your half-brother, right? But again, James now knows Jesus' divinity right here. And he says, I'm, I'm a slave of Christ. What does that word slave mean? In Greek, it means someone who gives himself up to another's will. How many of you could say you give up yourself to your brother's will, your older brother? Not easy, right? Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men, and this one really hit me right here, to be devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. Basically, James is saying, I don't care about me right now. I, I, I want to be more like my brother Jesus. And I want to be like him because, I, I mean, yes, then he knew who he was, but when you're a slave of someone or something, you give all of yourself to that someone or something. And James calls himself a slave for, for Jesus' sake. So then I started looking. I, well, where does God say something that we do something for his sake? I mean, James points it out that the, all the stuff and the hardship we go through, whether it's health-wise, relationship-wise, uh, any kind of thing, hardship, you name it. I mean, if I asked you to write it down, you could probably fill up two or three pages at least. Now, James here, you know, I'm looking for scriptures. Where, is it, where does it talk about being doing something for Jesus' sake? And I found it right here. It's in two books. Jesus was talking, um, and he says here, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, my student, become like me. That's what a disciple was. You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, guess what? You're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for me, for my sake, there it is, for my sake, James, a slave, for this one for the sake of another, you will save it, okay? Now, carry up your cross. What does that mean? And I read a lot of commentary on that too, and there's not enough time to kind of summarize it all, but basically, you know what? Literally laying down your rights and saying, Lord, whatever you want me to go, take me, God. Use me just as I am, Father. Just, just come and fill me with your spirit and show me what you want me to do. And literally to be able to 
to walk, uh, to leave these doors and to just maybe get a flat tire on the way home, you know, you know, instead of like, you know, first thing is to crab and complain, but God, thank you that I can get out of the car and thank you for AAA that I could fix it. And maybe it's an opportunity for, you know, the, the, the AAA guy comes by and you share your faith with him. Who knows? I mean, why does, you, why does your car not start? Well, maybe, you know, I read countless stories on 9-11, right, where people's cars wouldn't start, people couldn't get to work because, well, you know why? But, you know, God has his reasons for things happening to us, but yet we fail to see the big picture. We fail to see the plan. We fail to keep our spirits dilated. And honestly, keeping your spirits dilated, it really is just, it's a self-discipline that you just, you got to ask God to give you the strength to do that. I don't have any secret recipe or any secret formula or this is one, two, three. You know, I don't, I don't like that stuff anyway, but, you know, it's just how close do you want to be to Jesus? Because the closer you are to him, the more you'll realize he's there the more you realize he's there. God allows us to go through, the Bible implies that God allows us to go through trials, testings, and temptations for our sake. For our sake. He's taking the nursing exam for his sake. He wants to, he wants to be a nurse and help people. And that's awesome. You college students are taking those tests and exams for your sake. You want to get that degree and get you know, a better paying job or whatever. You're doing it for you. And you're willing to go through that hardship. But what about the hardships of this life? Are you willing to go through the hardships? Are you willing to go through the stuff that God's allowing you to go through? I don't know the reason. And as I said before, you know, I'm a type 1 diabetic. And I, I hate the disease. You know, uh, in the middle of the night, my blood sugar dropped low. And then this morning, I woke up sky high. And the feelings, the, it's like, ah, oh, like, why? God, you could have made me normal. But, you know, I, for some reason, I'm not. So what do I do? Crab and complain about it? No. How about God? Thank you that there's insulin. Because if I was born in 1800, I would have been dead at 6. You know, it's, it's a different perspective. What perspective, of the, what side of the storm are you on? How do you crawl up, send through those clouds to get on God's side, to see it the way he does? You know? Many of us don't like the cross we carry in life. It's too painful, God. Why this? Why? Any of you, ask, any of you argue with God and ask why? I do all the time. I was up very late last night, so mad I couldn't sleep. I was arguing with the Lord. How come? Why this? Why me? I was complaining about this cross I carry each day through this journey we call life. My heart was full of bitterness, anger, envy, jealousy, and strife. Why must I suffer through this, Lord? I inquired desperately. How come my friends are doing fine and don't struggle just like me? Weeks passed into months and months into years. My heart was very heavy in agony and in tears. I was desperate. I was looking for an answer so hard to find. Until one day, something happened to me that totally blew my mind. It was the Lord. There he was. I stared at him face to face. Wow, this is amazing, I thought. The author of the human race. Lord, I cried as I stood in amazement and ran to give him a hug. I love you so much, the Lord replied. Let's sit down. We have business to discuss. What does it matter now, Lord, I asked. Why do I have to sit? I'm in heaven with you now, Lord. I trusted in Jesus. I made it. My dear child, the Lord replied. Your life on earth does not come to an end. However, there is one area, perhaps, that we could slightly mend. What's that, I asked in wonder, so blatant, so curiously. Your cross, he replied. I don't want to, I said. I reacted furiously. So the Lord and I conversed for hours upon end, until the Lord said something that caused our discussion to bend. I will make a rare deal with you, he spoke. This is your only choice. I'm giving you an opportunity. Listen carefully to my voice. In this room here are many crosses, so different, so diverse. Each is different from another. 
Some are better. Some are worse. The names of these crosses are disguised, the Lord said. Each one has its own name. However, every cross known to man does bring out some pain. The cross you now possess in life I have right here in my hand. I will mix it in among the others. He did. He threw it in like a grain of sand. Now go in and try on crosses, God said. Try on every one you see. Whatever cross you choose is best. That's the one in your life that will be. Oh boy, I thought. I could be so happy without my old one and so free. All I must do is pick another one, the one best suitable for me. I went in and tried on the first cross. Ouch, it hurts, I cried, and I dropped it right away. Wow, I thought, this isn't easy. I'm going to be here all day. Take your time, the Lord replied. There is no need to haste. This is very serious and definitely not a waste. So I tried on another. It was awkward and felt not right. But there's no need to worry, I thought. There are plenty of others in sight. So as I tried on various crosses, I found some too hard to carry, and this I understood. But some felt painful and funny, and just turned out to be no good. Until, until, I stumbled upon a cross that seemed to fit me fine. It wasn't too much. It didn't feel funny, and it didn't make me whine. (laughs) This is a cross, I thought to myself. This has to be a joke. Hey, I'll take this one, Lord. I gladly and without hesitation spoke. Are you sure? The Lord inquired of me. What you now pick here goes. I'm positive, Lord. I said, it fits me perfectly and doesn't crush my toes. Come here, my child, the Lord lovingly said. I have news that may may break your heart. See, this cross that you have chosen, you've actually carried from the start. You see, the Lord said, There were times in this life, this cross, yes, was hard to do. But every time it afflicted you, I always saw you through. Each person in the world has a cross they carry through this life. However, my child, for each one, I decide which one's best and which one's right. So stop grumbling and stop complaining, my child. And would you please stop asking me why? For I know your thoughts and struggles, dear child. And I know it makes you cry. Stop worrying about everything in life. And in that, you must go through. For there are many other people today who are much worse off than you. So even today, I've learned my lesson and stand on the very word of God. In every stumbling block that's thrown my way, I look to him and give a great big nod. I've already given my life to him. And as a result, I am set free. All I must do is, as Jesus now said, take up your cross and follow me. I don't know why each of you goes through the things that you go through. I don't know why your family is the way it is. I don't know why what happened happened. I don't know why I don't I don't know why your health is the way it is. But here's one thing I do know. I know someone who knows why. And you know what? I don't have an answer. You probably don't have an answer. But maybe just maybe these are these trials that we go through. Remember, they're for our sake. I, like I said, I don't know what good could come out of diabetes, but God's using me, even if it's to lead one person to Christ later on in my life, I know it's worth it. What's your story? I'm not, I'm not saying you should go and figure out why you have it, but I'm just saying, you know what? Let your spirits dilate. Let the light of his presence fill you up. Realize that our omnipresent God, that gray area around the black dot, is all around you to begin with. Don't focus on the problems. Focus on, focus on your creator and thank him through that. And as you do, as you change your perspective, right? As you change your perspective, you're, you're over the clouds right there, dark and stormy underneath, but man, 
you know it's you know it's up above there. God will God will give you that inner peace. Scripture says that passes all understanding, and that peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It will. A few weekends ago, I was um, I was driving down to uh, to Scranton to visit we were visiting Ashley's grandmother in Pennsylvania, and I had Christian radio on, and there was a song that just came on the radio that just stopped me dead in my tracks. And I googled it after I found it out, and um, I just it, it gave me goosebumps listening to it, and I'm sure it will again. But what if the trials of his life, of, what if the trials of this life are God's mercies in disguise? You know what? Maybe you wouldn't be as close to God right now as you are if it weren't for that difficult circumstance that, that you're going through. He promises to give you the strength. His strength, remember, Paul, I think even Paul went through this. He, Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh, right? He says three times, I plead with God, take it away, take it away. And he said, no. But remember, my strength is made, my, my, strength, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. The, uh, yeah, I just want as the um, we're gonna play a song up here, um, the song, the same song that I heard. It's very short, and after that we'll pray. Um, but as you listen to it, whether you close your eyes, just reflect on God and His goodness, or whether you just watch it, but just remember that your Creator is He loves you so much, and um, He's with you through the storm. Huh? It was that that link. It was from, from Tuesday? Sorry. <laughs> Is it? Um, that's okay. Well, in the meantime, why don't we, uh, why don't we pray as they're uh, doing the technical stuff? Um, I just want to, um, just as you close your eyes, just, to, just really focus on his goodness. It really takes, it, it, and that power, guys, it only comes from the creator himself. Only God is the one who sustains you and gives you the strength to go through all the, the stuff you got to go through. But, Father, I just thank you for all of us here today, Lord, and I know that we're, we're imperfect people. We go through a lot. We struggle. But Lord, you love us through our struggles. And sometimes we fail. But God, when we fail, we know that your grace is uh, sufficient for us and your power is made perfect in our weakness. And Lord, we ask that you would fill us with that inner strength, God. Change our